Welcome to Japanese Talk Online Podcast, or jtalkonline.com, a website with articles about steady tips and tricks and resources for learning Japanese. You can also find our Japanese flashcard courses on Memorize under jtalkonline and on Twitter at japantalkonline. This is our first podcast of Japanese Talk Online. I'm Jennifer, and today I'm joined by my husband, Wesley. Hello. So we just got back from about a week and a half, two-week trip to Japan, where we started in Tokyo and then wound our way along the south over to Kyushu. And due to people we interacted with and things we saw, we decided we wanted to talk some about what Japanese you might actually need to know to get around slash live slash just generally survive in Japan. Because we both are fairly advanced levels. Uh, we both have the JLPT N2. We're both translators. and We work with Japanese pretty much on a daily basis. So when we go to Japan, it's fairly easy for us to travel around. But I've had a lot of people come up to me and ask, what Japanese do I need to know to visit Japan? And going there recently really helped because we could see exactly what you needed to know. And it's kind of a very difficult question to answer. It's... I think recently also there's been a lot of change. Um, I know Jen first went to Japan in 2008. Yep, 10 years ago. And I first went in 2011, so that was six years ago, six and a half now. And between what I experienced the first time I was there and what I experienced now, it has changed quite a bit. I think a big thing is, of course, as we all know, Tokyo is getting the Olympics in 2020. And there's been a really big push by the Japanese Tourism Board to try to make Japan more foreigner-friendly which to them means more English-friendly. So if you speak English, it's going to be a lot easier for you to get around at least the major parts of Japan. I remember one of the things that stuck out to me the first time I was there was the private train line that was staying over in Osaka. So the the Keihan train line had a lot of the signs in English. Meanwhile, the JR train line, JR being Japan Rail, which is actually a couple different companies, but it stretches from the southernmost point of Kyushu to the northernmost point of Hokkaido, pretty much, really didn't have much English at that point. When you'd go into the JR stations, you could sometimes find some things, but when you'd be sitting there staring at the station map, you were kind of on your own. Now, almost everywhere we went, didn't matter where we were or what train station we were in, there was English signs everywhere, or just the station masters were eager to practice with you. Well, uh, we only had one st- in- station master who was like really wanted to practice English with us. It's true, but all of them would walk up. We had the JR pass, which is by the way, if you're going to Japan and you think you're going to be traveling a lot, get one. It's great. You can just get on. You pay a lump sum at the beginning, but then you can just get on and off any JR train for free. And it was it was something that I noticed, um, not just in the train stations, but other places too. You'd walk up to people and they'd instantly be switching into English mode. Mm. And in the past, it would be kind of if you'd start off in Japanese, they might decide, oh, I don't need to do English with this one. And they'd respond as such, usually still using some more simple Japanese. Actually, in the past, if you went up to a Japanese person, even before you open your mouth they have that look of horror on their face as they try to drag up the tiny bit of english that they remembered from high school yeah and then and then you start speaking to them in japanese and then they go oh okay thank goodness i don't need to know english but this time you know it's like again we were getting a lot of train tickets we traveled a lot and so we were constantly going up to ticket windows to buy train tickets and the people there were always pretty good it was pretty simple it was always oh do you want the next train or things like that but they were defaulting to english a lot Mm, they were simple english i think also it's probably because the train lines are putting more effort into hiring people who know english who not necessarily fluently but 
but again like you said enough to be able to communicate at least the basics especially in the JR stations I noticed it in a couple of restaurants we went into people defaulted to English with us and then we started talking to them in Japanese and like oh okay and then they switched back I guess that's also one of the things because I was just thinking of some of the restaurants we went into and what I would say is if at any point you're feeling like maybe my Japanese isn't good enough for this bit or something just look for someone younger because we went into mm. this amazing back alley yakiniku restaurant in uh, Kumamoto and normally when you go into a restaurant off the beaten trail that's where you're going to start getting into your English troubles but this one seemed to be run by a bunch of 20 something early 30 somethings and their English was pretty good even though at the end they apologized and like oh I'm so sorry no one spoke English but they were pretty tongue-in-cheek about that and I mean the food was great fantastic food just delicious but it's another one of those things where I think that there are some places where we went to um, more of a diner style in Hakone for lunch and it was run by this little old lady and I don't I don't think she spoke to us in English at all no we didn't even have the menu in English yeah whereas most of the places we went into they had at least an English menu on standby just in case foreigners wanted in yeah so what in what Japanese would a complete beginner need to know do you think to visit Japan and survive if you're a complete beginner and you want to visit Japan I highly suggest you do it a because that's probably one of the reasons that you're studying Japanese and so it can be a great way to just continue to motivate you and there's so many times when you're studying Japanese and then you don't get to use it or you're just watching anime or reading manga or you're doing something like that and it can become repetitive and it's a great way to say oh I'm actually doing something with this and so I highly recommend just going 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 when where Jen and I met we were doing a study abroad in Osaka and there were people there who had next to no grasp of the language mm, yeah but by the end of the trip they hadn't like miraculously gone from no grasp to fluent but they still had a much firmer grasp of it just because they'd used it in real life situations and so you don't honestly need to know that as much as you might think which is what we were just saying but being able to read hiragana read katakana that's going to be a great start mm-hmm. um, knowing some of the basics and just you know, general hello goodbye how much is this thank you can i have a bill those things are going to help you a lot but they're still not really that absolutely necessary beyond just being polite and trying to integrate yourself into the culture that you've gone to go to. Yeah, we had a friend who went earlier this year and he is a complete beginner. He's still learning hiragana and he said that even after his, at the end of his two-week trip, he was picking it up. He he'd still found that he managed to pick up words and he recognized words a lot more because he'd learned them in advance. And so I think if you are a complete beginner and you, you want to learn Japanese, you want to practice it and you go to Japan, you will still pick up things. But I think if you want to go to Japan for the sake of practicing Japanese with native people you kind of need to find more non-touristy approaches unless you're really confident and you just stop like flag down Japanese people walking down the street and say can I have a conversation with you because we've had that a couple of times especially when we were living there when Japanese people would stop us and say can we speak English with you just have a little one minute conversation and practice yeah as a tourist I'd be probably a little bit less on board with that I think because there always seems to be places that you're going to Um, when we were living in Japan and Fukuoka for a while there's you know English meetups you could go to where you'd meet up at a cafe with other foreigners and Japanese people who are interested in practicing the language and would do things like that. I think if you're visiting Japan for like two weeks and you want to focus on practicing conversation, then you kind of need to time it in advance, find out when those local events are, or if you meet people online, try and meet up with them. Yeah. Because that's definitely what we did this time was meet up with friends and that we knew previously that we'd met through the internet or i met up with my friend from university and we met his girlfriend who couldn't speak any english so we spoke the whole time in japanese yeah 
Um, I think some of it for like daily conversations that you're going to have with people. I mean, you could honestly get by through an entire day in Japan just saying domo, 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 domo. <laughs> if all you wanted to do was eat kombini food and get on trains. Yeah. So just because you're in Japan, as Jen's saying, it doesn't mean you're going to be using the Japanese. If you want to go there to practice your Japanese, you are going to have to put more effort into it. <laughs> but just by the daily occurrences of what you do, I think you're going to find that you understand more than you think you would. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Jen was just saying we've got a friend who was there earlier who's still an incredible beginner. And he was picking up on words that he'd heard or that he'd studied and saying, oh, I recognize these words. I know what they're saying. And you're going to have that no matter what level of Japanese you are. One of the things that I noticed in Japan that kind of sparked this podcast a little bit was I was walking out of a bathroom and I turned to Jen and I said, hey, I was just thinking we should go back into that bathroom and take a photograph of the sign above the urinal because it'd be a great thing for JTalk. Because what it, what stuck out to me was they had this little sign above the urinal. And I could, if you asked me, read this sign word for word, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Part of that is I've been studying, I studied Japanese up to JLPT and two, and then I went off and forgot a lot of it. But what that means is that there's thousands of kanji I don't know. There's a lot of kanji combinations that I either knew or just don't know and or knew and forgot. But looking at this sign, I still knew exactly what it said. Because of the bits that I could recognize, I can put together. And also just, it's a sign on top of a urinal. It's probably pretty obvious what it says. But there were still bits that I could recognize from what I did know. And so it's not that I have to sit there and say, well, I don't understand exactly every word that it's showing me. You can still get the message mm. that something's trying to show you. Um, when you're going towards a train station or when you're going towards a train platform and you see a sign on there, what it's telling you, I'll tell you right now, is it's going to say, don't run and dive onto the train because it's dangerous. But normally they, those kind of signs have pictures as well. Sometimes they do. But I know a lot of times it says, uh, what is it? Norikake like, abunai, norikake mm. kiken. Or chikani gochui. Yeah, well, that, those don't normally. Those don't usually have signs. That's true. But it's still, it's just, do you, what do you recognize and how do you put it in the situation that you're seeing? Yeah, definitely context has a big impact. And I think going to Japan, you definitely see that because when you're studying, you're like, I learned train, I learned platform. You kind of learn similar words, but never in combination with the grammar that will be used in that kind of situation and definitely not the context. So definitely going to Japan and, and seeing real life Japanese in context will help you understand it or help help you even learn new things. Even if you're like guessing, I'm 80% sure this is what this is. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're standing there on a train platform and all of a sudden you hear a little chime go off and then a robotic voice goes, you might be going, oh, I know densha and I know kimasu and I know gochui so what do I have to be worried about? The train's arriving and then a train pulls up. Yeah, train's arriving. Be careful. Yeah. What did it say on the toilet? Because you said you, you knew what it was from context. Oh, it was uh, talking. It's one of the things I love about Japanese signs is they never say do something. They always say, let's work together to have this result. Oh, please. Even still. Oh, if they're being extra, extra polite, they'll be like, let's do this. Yeah. So in this case, it was talking about making sure we were keeping the toilet clean by being careful. And um, yeah, I can't remember exactly what it said in Japanese, but it was pretty much, let's all do our part to keep the toilet clean. I wonder if that's one that they have in the girls' toilets or if that's a guy only thing. <laughs> From what I've heard, girls' toilets are worse than boys' toilets. <laughs> oh, I did see a funny one that I took a picture of that was, I, I mostly took a picture of it because it was, again, about keeping the toilet clean. And the logo for the company was like, Utsukushi Toire, which means beautiful toilets. Um, I think, though, going back to one of the things we were earlier saying also is going to Japan can be a great way to practice your Japanese. You're going to find a lot of people who are 
willing to help you with that in as much as you're not making a burden of yourself. If you are constantly just walking around going, I'm going to practice my Japanese all the time, you still need to keep an eye out for what's going on around you. Like if you go to the information desk at JR station and there's a huge line of people and you're trying to go through everything in Japanese and there's a huge line behind you, they are going to try to foister off the foreign language maps on you mm. to get you out of there. I know uh, Jen and I went to see the sumo while we were there. And as soon as we start walking in, they look up and go, up, oh, white people, and they're handing us all the pamphlets in English. And uh, I kind of said, oh, can I have the bonskit? And they just handed me an English one The again. English one again. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, I guess that's it. Because there, there was a line of people. It was a busy day. It was the final day of the tournament and all that. And I understand. When it was like just afterwards, though, after the line had been cleared out, Jen went back and said in Japanese, by the way, can we have the Japanese bonske? And they were like, sure. And they gave it to her. Yeah. So we still got it, but it's kind of one of those things where at the beginning they're going, I'm in a rush. I don't have time for foreigners. You say you're a foreigner. Here's your foreign thing. We're good to go. They're also an autopilot. Like people who work in, especially people who work at convenience stores, in shops in general, in restaurants, they're on autopilot. They say the same thing over and over every single day. And so when you see a foreigner, hand them the English menu, the English map, the English information. Sure. I mean, yeah, I don't think there's anything malicious. No, no, no. Definitely not. But if you do want to, if you do want it in Japanese, then just ask Nihongo de Kurasai. Yeah. And that's fairly easy. And then you can compare the English and the Japanese because you'll have both by that point. Which can be fun. But yeah, I think definitely, um, as they say in Japanese, kuki o yomu, to read the air, to read the atmosphere, to read the situation around you and then kind of see what other people are doing. It's another country, but everyone there is still doing the same thing as the people back home. It's rude to go into a shop and strike up a conversation with a shopkeep that's unrelated to their business, especially if they're busy. It's rude in Japan to go into a shop and strike up a conversation with a shopkeep that's not about their business. But I think a short conversation is fine. Yes. We went into one shop and there was a guy in there who just finished his study abroad in Canada. So a simple, oh, your English is really good. Where did you study? I studied in Canada. That's really awesome. We studied in Osaka. That was it. Yeah. Like 30 seconds. Great practice. Yeah. Which is why I think it's also important to, to make friends online, meet people on italki, on Lang8. And then when you go to Japan or a couple of a month before you go to Japan, say, I'm going to Japan. Would anyone like to meet up? And that can be great because also Japanese people, when you do that, will introduce you to things that you probably wouldn't have necessarily thought about before. Like I took my sisters to Japan two years ago and we met up with a friend of mine that I met through italki and she came to London and I showed her around London. So when we went to Japan, she was like, oh, there's a festival next to my hometown. I'm going to take you and your sisters there. So we went and we met her family and she took us around this festival and that was a really great experience so i think if you do want to go to japan for any length of time and you're learning japanese make friends online and then be like hey does anyone want to meet up i do have to say though if you say you want to go out for dinner with someone make it clear that you're going out for dinner otherwise they'll probably automatically think you want to go out drinking you say that like it's a problem (laughs) Uh, it might be a problem for some people if you like drinking and you want to go out and have a and stay out at Enzakaya till one in the morning, which I know our friend who is beginner Japanese loves to do. <laughs> Not you. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, it's and then again though it's coming back to somewhat about the beaten path type thing. Mm. If you're gonna do all the popular touristy things, that's where you come across the most English. Yeah. So that's where it's also gonna be easier for those who are less skilled or less confident in their skills with Japanese. Well, I know when we met up with your uh, old college friend or university friend and we wound up in this uh, what was it yakitori yakitori mm. restaurant that admittedly it was wasn't that far away from one of the major stations but it was a tiny little room it was this itsy bitsy little place 
and if the staff spoke English, I never heard it. Nope, there were no no English menus. No English menus. I mean, there were honestly no menus at all. There was just a bunch of signs around the walls. (laughs) And it was delicious. It was fantastic. I never would have known about it unless we were taken there. So again, what Jen was saying, the locals will take you places that you'll never find on your own and they'll be amazing. But then it's also probably not the place that you want to wind up in if you can't at least bluff your way through. But then again, you kind of need to put yourself in those situations in order to get over that initial speaking block or speaking fear. Because I know a lot of people who start learning Japanese are too afraid to speak it. Because they're Mm. worried they're going to mess up. They're worried they're not going to remember the words. And they're worried they're not going to understand anything. But when you force yourself into a situation where you have to use Japanese, then you you actually find yourself being able to speak it. Or at least communicate in some way. Because you still have body language. You still have hand signals. And you can bluff your way through a conversation with a Japanese person in Japanese, even if you think you're not good enough. It's true, yeah. Charades do help a lot. Um, the first time I was in Japan back in 2011, it was before I took the N3. I took that upon getting back to the States. And I was over there doing a study abroad. And I told myself, okay, if you're doing a study abroad, you're gonna need as much of this as you can. So I chose to stay with a homestay instead of staying in the dorms. And at this university for Kansai Gaidai, when you choose to do a homestay, they have you fill out a little questionnaire about what you're looking for in a homestay family so that they can try to pair you up with homestay families that'd be similar just because everything that goes smoothly is a lot better than strife and conflict when you're dealing with where you're going to be living for four or five months. And one of the things looking at this questionnaire that I put on there, it had said, how much English do you want your family to know? A lot, some, a little, none, whatever. And I went, okay, I've studied Japanese in university for a little bit. I've, you know, read some manga seen some anime done this done that but outside of the classroom i've never really used my japanese so if i'm going to be living here for five months my homestay family knowing some english would probably be a good thing (laughs) so i so i filled out the questionnaire and sent it back in and then i get to japan and i'm getting situated in the first week you stay in the dorms and they give me the dossier on the family that i'm staying with just like they gave a dossier about me to the family they gave me something about the family so that i had some situation what was going on before i actually met them and i'm looking through it and it says how much english do they know none at all and i look at that and go well this will be interesting And I met my host family, and I was actually staying with an elderly couple. And then their one of their daughters lived next door with her husband and their three kids, who were a mixture of elementary school, middle school, and high school age kids. And so for the couple that I was staying with, they had no English whatsoever. The dossier was completely correct. The next door, the daughter and her family had a little bit more English, but still there really wasn't much English going on here. And my initial response was, okay, what have I got myself into? Let's make the most of this. And it turned out being fantastic for me because even though they didn't speak English, it forced me then to not rely on the English that I knew. Mm-hmm. Whenever I came to a word that I didn't exactly know, or if they said something they didn't quite know, would have to explain around it. So it wasn't just, oh, I meant to say this, but I must have said it wrong. Let me say the English word and you'll know what I'm talking about. It was a, let me try to explain this in Japanese in such a way that you'll be able to figure out what I was trying to say in the first place and screw it up on. And going back to what Jen just said, charades helped a lot. <laughs> just being able to generally mime out an action while explaining around it, you'd suddenly see the light click in your conversation partner and you'd be like, yes, okay, I've conveyed my message. I'm still okay. That is a good technique to explain around the word if you don't know the word or explain something similar to it. And that's also great Japanese practice. The first time I went in 2008, I had been learning Japanese for two years, but only an hour a week. So I had the equivalent of I'd barely learned katakana and I was probably about N5 level, like only really, really, really basic stuff. And I studied at a school for a month 
And then with uh, staying with a host family, which was just a single elderly woman. And then I went out and volunteered on farms where they spoke no English and all of the conversation was about farming. <laughs> so not what you normally learn in a textbook. Luckily, the school that I went to kind of covered farming vocabulary, but not enough in the time that I memorized all of it. So a lot of that was charades, understanding from context, being shown things while being talked at in Japanese. And somehow I managed to understand what was going on. There were times when I didn't and I was really confused, but it all worked out in the end because I was in a very safe environment. The people I was with were really friendly and it forced me to really improve my Japanese in order to survive in the middle of nowhere uh, working on farms. <laughs> The one downside from this technique, both getting yourself lost on a farm or being put with a family who speaks no English, oh, is, both. <laughs> or both, why not, is that as soon as I went back to the States, went back to my university classes, my Japanese had gone from slightly stilted proper Japanese to pretty, pretty slangy Japanese, which my teachers were less than impressed with. Yeah, that's a problem at my university as well, when the teachers would have students who come back from a year abroad in Japan and they would be like, stop talking informally we're in class now so you need to speak formally stop it so that's also good though because you need to be able to switch between formal and informal japanese in a real situation yeah realize that that's what you're learning i suppose yeah that you're learning the, the formal and you you speak the informal when you're in japan but say if you're asking for directions you're talking to a stranger you would use formal japanese but if you were living with a japanese family you would use informal japanese or they'd probably ask you to inf use informal japanese i guess it depends on the family i guess that's also one of the things no matter your level before you go to japan prep a couple of phrases that you might need to know i think I've said it before, honestly, the best phrase you could ever know in Japanese if you're trying to go somewhere is blank ni ikitain desu ka. And literally translated, it means I want to go here. But if you're in Tokyo and you're like, ah, shibuku ni ikitain desu ka. Shibuku. Shibuku. Shibuya or Shinjuku. It's, a, it's a, one of those set phrases that you might be taught it, you might not. But really, what because you're trailing off with the desu ka, the implication that you're giving any Japanese person you'd ever say that to is... I want to go here, but I don't know how, and now I'm lost, and can you please, please help me, because I'm an idiot. Which is great, because they will help you. Actually, another useful phrase that I was never taught, and I don't know why I was never taught, because every time I use it, the Japanese person I use it on is really impressed. <laughs> no, seriously. I know what phrase you're about to you say. You know what phrase I'm about to yeah. say. Tsumaranai mono desu ka? The reason you weren't taught that is, again, because you sound like an old person saying it. But it works. It's amazing. Um, so <laughs> it's, it literally means this is this is very dull, but and the implication it's what you say when you give someone a gift, which you should definitely do if you're doing it staying with a home fa host family or you're visiting someone, is take them a gift from your home country or hometown. Yeah, going back to what Jen was saying earlier, make friends online through yeah. iTalk or whatever. But then if you visit them, bring them something. And when you give them that something, say, Tsumaranai mono desu ka? Tsumaranai meaning boring, mono thing. And then the desu ka, as we were saying, when you trail off, means this is very boring, it's very dull, but please accept it. I hope you'll like it. So quick aside, that's actually another trick that you're not really taught that much, but it's really useful. One of the things that I hear a lot of people who are studying Japanese who get really annoyed about is that a lot of Japanese language is uh, contextual. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of it that's not said. Which means, though, that as a foreigner, you can use that to your advantage because you can leave so much up to context. The basic Japanese sentence structure is subject, object, verb. So if you've forgotten what verb you need to use, leave it off. <laughs>
It works. It does. It works. All you really have to say is, oh, there's this thing. And chances are, depending on what thing you're talking about and how specific you're being, they'll know what you want to do with it. I mean, if you're holding a train ticket and you go, oh, I need to ask him where I get on this train. You can be, you can just walk up to the train conductor, kind of hold out your ticket apprehensively and go, and they'll know that what you mean to say is, and maybe you forgot Noru. That's fine. They know what you mean. You can trail off. It sounds more polite that way. And they'll tell you exactly where to go. That's true. We had that situation when we were trying to get on a train to go to Hakone. We go into a station and we tried it first on the automated machines and it wasn't working. So we kind of go up to this counter and we're like, Hey, we want to go to this place and do this. And the guy's looking at it and he's going, you're in the wrong train station. This isn't a JR train. You need to go to Otaku. And we're like, oh. And he's like, yep, you just go down here and you take a left and you take another left and you go up here. And he took us right, he told us right where we needed to go. But really, it just came down to us being lost at the beginning. So use context to your advantage. It's fantastic. But you also need to understand how it works in the first place in order to leave things off. That's true. And I think, again, hanging out with native Japanese people is great because you can you can pick up tricks off of them without them realizing it and definitely copy how they say things, copy what they say, depending on the context as well. And going back also to one of the things that Jen was just saying about Samana and Okay, most schools are going to teach you using Genki or there's a whole host. Uh, Japanese for busy people. Japanese for busy. I think Genki is the most popular for schools. And Yokoso? Yokoso. Or is that one out of touch now? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of modern textbooks for Japanese, and they're going to focus on Japanese it's used today. If you're not at one of those schools that uses a modern textbook, cough, Portland State University, cough. Um, <laughs> and this may have changed since I left there, but what they did was they used a textbook that was out of the 80s, <laughs> which was great because it means whenever I use a Japanese I was taught, I come off as being incredibly polite. And old. And old. When I was first there, someone said I sounded like uh, their grandmother or aunt or something. I don't remember specifically. Sumara naimono desu is a phrase out of that textbook. Mm. Because it is older Japanese. And so part of the reason that the Japanese people always kind of look askance at you when you use it in both a surprised and somewhat impressed way is because you're using Japanese that they wouldn't expect you to know. Not because it's difficult, but because of its cultural implications. And that can be really fun to do sometimes. But it's funny because the person who taught me that was my speaking partner at Kansai Gaido, who was a 20-year-old girl. Really? Yeah. Oh, I learned it from a textbook. Because I wanted to give a gift to her mum, and she was like, oh, if you want to give a gift to my mum, this is what you need to say, and she'll be really impressed. And so we we drilled it a couple of times, and then I said it, and yeah, her mum was really impressed, and I've remembered it ever since. Oh, nice. So, uh, the flip side of that also is if someone's giving you something, deny it the first time, deny it the second time, and then when they offer it the third time, don't worry, they'll keep offering it. You don't have to feel like they're going to take it away. Then you don't say thank you, you just say, uh, which means, oh, I guess if you're going to keep offering it and be so sweet about it, I'll take it if I have to. But really what you're saying is sweet. I'm scoring some sweet, sweet Japanese goods. <laughs> it's a great phrase. Both, so it's, it's Actually, giving presents, receiving presents. That does, this is a little off topic, but it does remind me of apparently Japanese people have a problem when they study abroad in America or England because they're used to denying when you, when someone offers you something, you go, Oh, no, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Oh, well, yes, please. But in Western culture, we don't have that. So in England, you do. Uh, in England we do slightly but if somebody offers them a drink they'll say no and then they'll go oh okay and then, the and then they're like going, wait I really wanted it yeah. and I go oh no <laughs> what do I do 
But of course, they're not going to say anything because they don't. Well, often, again, people are often too scared to speak a language, even if they've been studying it. And again, you need to you need to push through that anxiety. I think, honestly, that's also going to be one of the things that if you are watching a lot of anime or manga. Watching manga. Reading manga. <laughs> it's a lot of what happens in those is incorrect Japanese. What? And by incorrect, what I mean is it's not commonly used. It's not your daily use Japanese. You're not running around saying, fight me, take this, or garbage like that. But what you should be looking for when you're watching those is what are the basic interactions between characters. So, for instance, when someone's offering you something, if you don't want to remember the phrase I said earlier, because it's old Japanese and that's fine, you should at least recognize from your shows that a lot of the time when someone's accepting something, they say sumimasen. A mm. lot of the times. And they'll take it with two hands. And they take it with two hands. But, you know, if someone is offering you something, you don't just go, oh, thanks. Or if someone compliments you, you just, you don't say thank you. Yeah, it's you always... You say, but you're always you're gonna humble. Be, yeah, you're always going to be humble about it. You're always going to be very apologetic about it. I mean, going back to also what I'd said earlier about Domo, Responding to things with Domo, it's never, you never want to act cocky, even nod of the head for a bow, except with two hands, Domo, Atsumasen, just because what you're essentially saying is someone has gone out of their way to do something for you and you're thanking them for it. There is actually one thing talking about thank you is you should avoid just saying arigato because it is actually a little more informal. And if you're with strangers or interacting with strangers, you should always try to use arigato gozaimasu. That's a tip I heard from a Japanese person. Yeah, I don't think I've ever said arigato to a Japanese person. You always say arigato gozaimasu or sumimasen or domo. domo. Yeah, if you want to say something short, say domo. Excise arigato from your vocabulary completely. And again, watch people around you because I definitely, I'm always like, what do I say at convenience stores? Because in England, I'll always say thank you a bajillion times, but that's because we're British. But when I went to Japan, I watched Japanese people and they tend to actually not say thank you or anything. But because I'm British, I automatically say thank you anyway. <laughs> yeah, I still, like when they finally, so you go to Japan, they're going to pack up all your goods into 20 different bags, even though you only bought two things. And then at the end, they're going to offer it to you. And they're going to offer it with two hands. So that should be your suggestion that you take it with two hands. And I'd always just drop a simple domo there as well. Mm. Uh, domo. Slight bow of the head, domo, take it with two hands, walk out of the store, eat my melon bun. <laughs> so what are the takeaways from this? I mean, I guess number one, level doesn't really matter that much. No, level does not matter. Even if you're a complete, complete beginner, you've only learned like 10 words and you still want to go to Japan, don't put it off. Just don't put it off. Go. And it's also, as we said at the very beginning of this, it's motivation. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're sitting there going, I want to learn Japanese and I want to go to Japan and it seems so cool and I love how everything looks and I want to do this and I want to do that. I mean, yeah, it's great to have a dream for that, but it's also great to go experience that dream because it's just going to motivate you to do it more. And if you keep saying, because I definitely had this, have had this problem with other things, I'll say, I'm going to do this when blank. I'm going to do it when blank. And then you just keep putting it off. And I, I understand it's it's kind of hard when you feel you don't have enough money. But again, if you plan, I've said this before on JTalk articles, if you plan it a year in advance and you kind of plan how you're going to save up for it, you can do it. And it gives you an extra year to practice. And no matter what people say, Japan's really not that expensive. Oh, no, it, it's not. It can be. I'm not going to say it can't be, but if you eat, if you don't always go out to the fanciest restaurants and you're willing to kind of slide here and there, you could easily do a trip to and from Japan with on out, the cheap. On the cheap, yeah. Yeah, you could, you could eat. If you eat at convenience stores for breakfast and lunch and then at really cheap restaurants for dinner, it's super easy. You could spend like 2,000 yen a day on food if you're careful about it. Yeah. If you're not careful about it, you could easily spend $100 a day on food. <laughs> yeah. So other takeaways. The country is becoming more English friendly. But knowing Japanese is still useful. Definitely. I think. 
Yeah. But there isn't really a set, this is the Japanese you need to know. It's really any Japanese that you know will be useful. Except for, of course, arigatou gozaimasu, yeah. domo. Yeah, so a couple set phrases are useful. Um, I, I do think knowing your hiragana and katakana will help. Oh, yeah. Especially and with menus. Then also it is, though, just go with what you know, and you'll be surprised at how often you recognize it. So that was the first episode of Japanese Talk Online podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you found it helpful. And guess I'll see you again next time. Mata ne.